up with us. And today we're going to be uh, comparing the Alan Hancock 2016 and 2017 uh, sparkling wines. Right? Okay, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, great. So we're here with Nick and with Sarah. Hello. Hold on, now you can wave. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> yeah, scoot your chair over a little bit to the left so that way we can see when I flip it. Okay, perfect. Okay, and Bo is very excited here because some of his favorite treats, like strawberries, are on the table here today. Okay, so you know what? So he's busy. He's going to get a strawberry in his Kong, so that way he feels like he's doing a tasting also. <laughs> so, um, Nick, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about these sparkling wines that we're going to be tasting today. Um, sparkling wine that having today, well, I guess the kind of intro to it's a little different from the past ones, um, because we're comparing the two, mm -hmm. um, but they're made from um, peanut grapes, and that's all because I don't want to give away too much just because of um, how we're going to introduce them. Okay. Um, they've both been produced at the college vineyard. Okay. Um, on campus of the college winery, um, and that's just a little bit of a hint of so what what is the difference that we're going to be looking for between the 2016 and 17? Will one of them be sweeter than the other one? And then once it goes on the radio. 
working and caging phase, and then labeled, and then um, off to market. So, do the sparkling wine is, is that made in oak barrels or stainless steel? And more importantly, my favorite steel. part of sparkling wine are the bubbles. How do you get the bubbles in the wine? Uh, first off, it's uh, it is aged in stainless steel. That will give it a cleaner finish. Um, the bubbles are created through the fermentation for the um, yeast that's in the bottles that is breaking down the sugars and converting it into gas. Mm -hmm. So that's how the bubbles are created within the bottles. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay, so Sarah and I, we've got our bags here labeled. One's A, one's B. So, can you see the yeah, others? B. So, this is going to be slightly different than what we've done in past episodes because Sarah and I are obviously both in the same place. So, our A's and B's are going to be the same. And since we've like totally mixed everything up and we don't know which A and B Nick has in which A and B bag, Nick's A and B might be different than ours. So, um, Sarah, you want to go ahead and pour B in both of our glasses? And so I'm going to, in the past few episodes, we have been introducing food to kind of bring out some of the different flavors of the wine and help us decide which ones are sweeter and uh, which are drier. And uh, so this is our what our smorgasbord looks like today. Sarah brought potato chips because Sarah said potato chips go perfectly with sparkling wine. Well, two kinds. I've got jalapeno, so you can check to see how a little bit of spice and champagne go together, or sparkling wine go together. Mm -hmm. And then the salt with the potato chips and sparkling wine. It's just a good time. Okay. <laughs> and then we also have some chocolate and some cheese and some prosciutto there, too. So Sarah's going ahead and pouring A right now in both of our glasses. Do you, have you poured yours over there yet, Nick? Yes. <laughs> Nick's like, I've been ready all afternoon. <laughs> what do you have? Any um, small bites over there on your over there with you for your tasting, Nick? Um, what kind of got me interested um, when I first took wine tasting classes at um, Santa Barbara City College with the culinary department, um, the woman that was teaching. Um, kind of wines of France, um, when we covered champagne, she introduced popcorn, plain popcorn with sparkling wine, um, but it turned out that what we were having was a Blanc de Blanc, which is a Chardonnay, 100% Chardonnay sparkling. Uh, she didn't say it wasn't a bad idea to try it with the other varietals that sparkling is made with. Uh, this is just the first for me as far as how well they'll go with. So why did why did uh, your instructor choose popcorn? Like, what did she uh, say about the popcorn that would? Uh, stick with Chardonnay grapes, as you can get like a sweet corn, and then also depending on um, how long it ages for, you can get like a bready, like a brioche um, characteristic in sparkling wine. Uh, and that doesn't mean that it's only to white to those Chardonnay. That's mainly with that's just a characteristic you can't pick up from the yeast mm. that's used uh, in the process. Um, just like other winemaking, there are different yeasts 
for making sparkling or champagne um, style wines. Oh, different yeast for sparkling wines versus like your regular white wine or rosé or red wine? I shouldn't oh. say regular. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Yeast choice can be kind of interesting. I mean, um, the winery manager at uh, Hancock Kelsey, she has this huge book of different yeasts that you can choose from that have different characteristics and what you're looking for, and it can have a different effect on wine. So it's uh, choosing your yeast it can be a whole decision-making process. So before we get started here, I went ahead and took photos of the back of the bottles, and I wrote 2016 and 17 on the labels uh, for each of these. So it looks like we're expecting to have, they look kind of comparable, right, Nick? I mean, it, they both seem to have the same amount of fruit, body, tannin, and acidity. Is that correct? In the, they're, they could probably be in the ballpark of each other, but um, since they have been kind of in the bottle for longer than they're um, past their vintage, mm -hmm. um, each could have developed something slightly different from each other than what's on the label. Okay, it looks like from the label that uh, the 2017 has slightly more tannin than the 2016, but that could also be my poor photography skills, making it appear that way. So, <laughs> Sarah's like laughing at my lack of photographic skills. Well, because I'm so good. Yeah. Sarah, did you have something to say about the wine? Um, I just want to check with Nick. When you were pouring your wines, did you notice one had more effervescence than the other? Because I noticed RB definitely had more bubbles when I was pouring it, and A, not so much. I mean, it's still a sparkling oh. wine, but it just seems like one is less bubbly than the other. Yeah, so this is what Sarah's talking about. You can see how quickly those bubbles are rising. And like they're going slightly slower in A, so I have A here right now. And then if you put them side by side, yep, B definitely is way more effervescent. Are you noticing that on your end too? I am. Um, my the one that I have for B also has a lot. The activity is a lot stronger. Um, a lot more bubble activity. The, my A is a lot slower, um, less bubbles. Carbonation. So, so we might. So, what I'm hearing is we might have our A's and our B's might be synced, just coincidentally, which would actually be awesome. So, which one should we start with? Should we start with A because A comes before B? Sure. Ooh, I want to smell. See if we smell the difference between the two of them. I went a little um, rogue with everyone. I didn't, I'm not using a traditional wine glass. Mm -hmm. um, I chose this particularly for the flute, for the um, size of the flute here mm -hmm. to kind of capture all the aromas. So that's kind of why it looks a little different with this um, kind of vertical angled top to it. And so, what will that angle top? Do. I, I'm not sure. This is the closest thing that I had to a, a champagne flute or a champagne glass so of some kind. So I uh, have broken all of my flute glasses. Uh, like pre when I've posted people and there's been too much bubbly has been <laughs> enjoyed. Um, so I just have regular wine glasses. 
So that's why we have the selection that we have over here. If my mom's listening, champagne glasses would be a nice birthday gift. <laughs> she only she has seven months to pick them out. I'm noticing that our bee seems to smell more uh, like sweeter. Like there's more of honey that I'm picking up, and it almost smells like a. It doesn't quite have isn't as sweet. Are you getting that? I am trying to put my finger on exactly what I'm smelling, but. Um I, I wholeheartedly agree. It's Just uh, from smelling A, I feel like A is going to be drier than B. I think you're right. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and try A. That's good. But it's, it reminds me more of kind of like a brew. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But maybe I... But not quite as dry. But, a little, but it's still on the drier side. Are you, are you getting a little hint of peach on A? Or some sort of stone fruit, or is that just me? No, there's a little bit of stone fruit on A. Oh, interesting. B. I was expecting to get, like, for B to be really sweet, and I almost think... I think B's almost drier than A. And I'm saying dry because I actually I like dry sparkling. I'm not a big fan of like super sweet. Oh, you think bees drier? Oh, slightly drier. Mm-hmm. It hits you at the end though. Yeah. In the very front. Oh no, they're about the same. No, no, they're very they're incredibly different for being. You said Nick, you also it's the same grape. Which grape is this? You said Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. Um. was most likely different. Um, what's really great about the program at Hancock is on both sides, the winemaking and the grape growing side, is that there are three different clones of Pinot Noir that are planted right next to each other, uh, or at least on the same side of the vineyard, um, that are really great because it's, it gives a great diversity of our wines for our rosé, our sparkling, and our regular style Pinot. And each of these three clones are going to allow the students to, like, study how the grape cluster forms, but also how thin the skins can be from the three different varietals. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so that's, um, so that's going to be the, the other difference between the wines is that I think this, the, um, one of them was made with only one, one varietal or one clone of Pinot Noir, which could be the 91. And then the other one could be a blend of all three pinots. Okay, so when you say 91, you're talking about clone 91, not 1991. Well, 91. Okay. Yeah. And then what's also unique about the clone 91 at, or at the vineyard is that we, it is planted on both sides of the vineyard, on both the two-acre blocks, but there's a small section that's that's pruned to cordon or head train cane prune, which is a very traditional European style, really ancient style pruning, which will also influence the development of the fruit versus the other peanut, which are grown traditional, spur pruned, um, cordon trained. Can you tell us a little bit about cordon trained? 
in the other method that you were discussing? The court on the best way I can describe it is it looks like a large capital T. Okay. And on top of each of the horizontal part, you'll have what are called spurs, which are just a giant piece of the growth from the year that will have two buds on it, or one depending on the preference of the winemaker and the grower. And then that is generally what a spur-pruned, cordon-trained vine looks like. And then your head-trained cane prune is generally a single, it's just a single vine, just like what Sarah has there on her phone. So move your phone back a little bit. It's generally the trunk, and then we have the head as the top of the trunk. And then every year you will have new growth on both sides, which are those individual, those two vines on either side. Oh, wow. And every year when they prune, they'll select a new vine to replace the one that they're cutting off. So it allows for the vine to regulate itself a lot easier than growing the other way, which is the cordon-trained, which does take quite a bit of regulation within the plant or the vine. And you said, and which of, you said like the 2016 versus the 2017, which one was grown which way? For the 2016, it would have been the head-trained cane prune. Okay. And then the other, the older vintage would have been a mix of the three different clones. Now the percentage, I don't know the percentage exactly of each of those three clones. So Sarah, what do you think we should try with our wines and see what happens, what flavors come out on our palate? Should we start with your potato chips? Oh, I've been munching on potato chips before we started on this. And I got to say, the potato chip and egg goes really nicely together. I've tried potato, just the plain sea salt potato chip would be good. So you recommend the plain sea salt potato chip with? With egg? I'll find out for B. Okay. So what happened when you had the potato chip with egg after you chipped? It just seems to bring the flavor of the sparkling wine out. See, this is why I need more classes in food and wine pairings. Because I'm trying to describe it. I'm not so good at it. But there's just something about the bubbles and the salt and the crunch with the potato chip and the fat. Do you feel like it enhances the sugars in the wine, but the salts and the oils? I think it's that. I think it's the crunch with the bubbles and the salt with the sweet. It's just kind of a happy marriage of everything going on. What's going on over there on your palate over there, Nick? Have you added your popcorn with your wine? And what are you noticing? It's not too bad. It's definitely not something someone would want to do with a buttered popcorn. Kettle corn might be well suited if you're going to do like a sweeter wine. So like if it was a demi-sec or higher in the sugar content, then probably a kettle corn would go better with that. And there would actually be a lot of salt too. Having it with a Chardonnay-based sparkling wine 
for a champagne style um, would probably work better than with the Pinot, but that's just um, on my palate as far as how the two pair together. I still, like, despite what my initial, like, uh, you know, like, getting the nose off of each of these wines, I am thinking that A smelled like it was going to be a lot sweeter than B. I find that... B was going to be sweeter. B was going to be sweeter than A, yes. As I was saying it, I'm like, I feel like I'm saying this backwards. <laughs> that B was going to be sweeter than A. I find A, when I'm drinking it, is actually sweeter than B. Do you find the same thing, Sarah? Oh, I do. I was thinking the blackberries with sweeter might be really good, and the jalapeno potato chip with the B, because it's not as sweet, mm-hmm. that's really good. Mm-hmm. So it's something with a little, not that the jalapeno is really that spicy, but... Mm-hmm. It seems like the sparkling wine seems to enhance the the uh, spice to the potato chip. Yeah, potato chip. I just well, you can leave that both oh, get okay. that. We we have cl- bows on cleanup crew over here. <laughs> so um, I did just have a piece of prosciutto before having a sip of the A, and I think the salt of the meat has really like enhanced the sweetness in A for me. Have you tried the prosciutto yet? Not yet. I'm going to try the prosciutto with B now. Because the prosciutto is really salty. Oh. Yeah, I feel like... Well, it was sweet at first, but then it finishes differently with the prosciutto. I think I just mainly taste prosciutto at the end. Like, and it was very brief that I got sweetness of the sparkling wine. Same yeah. thing? Mm-hmm. Very, yeah. I feel like the prosciutto, like, ruined my <laughs> <laughs> tasting of bee. <laughs> kind of funny Damn, how the Colombo prosciutto. prosciutto. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how the food really does play in, and certain flavors can really be enhanced by the sparkling, and certain flavors can actually help enhance, I think, the sparkling, too. Well, yeah, like, the other week, we did the tasting with, um, what were the two white wines that we did? They were the two vignettes. Oh, vignettes. Yeah. yeah. And, um, they became entirely different wines. As soon as we had a piece of cheese, or we had, um, a piece of peach, and then, because at first we we're like, these taste the same. We can't tell the difference. And then where we had a peach and a piece of cheese, and we're like, oh, never mind. They're very different wines. And I forget what it was, but certain things, it's like, oh, that's great together. And then other things, oh, no, no, that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, actually that happened last last time. Uh-huh. With the vignette, because we had the olive with the one, and that was not a good experience. Yeah. <laughs> was not a good pairing. Yeah. Yeah. So, Nick, you want to tell us a little bit more about the two different wines that we're drinking? Well, just from any new viewers, um, with Pinot Noir, we do get a lot of red fruit, and then the red fruit can also vary between different things, like you can get watermelon sometimes, or cranberry, or even like raspberries or other cane berries, Mm -hmm. and and that will vary through the different clones. So another clone that we have is 777, and that's a darker skinned fruit that can have a lot more of the darker fruit color, Mm -hmm. darker fruit varieties, like or what we call black fruit. Mm-hmm. It's like blackberries, um, black currants, plum, etc. So it's um, 
I'm getting a lot of like strawberry in, in my in the beet. And have more bubbles. Mm-hmm. And then the A, it tends to be a lot more floral. Yeah, after but eating... Both, they're also both tart. Yeah. At the same time. I think, I find B to be slightly more tart than A, especially after I just had a slice of the Bristol Farm jarred peaches, and those are really sweet, and then I had a sip of B afterwards, and I got this, like, tart puckering. I wonder then if the sea salt chocolate would actually be good, because it's going to be a little bitter because it's dark chocolate. Oh, you think, like, would be good, would be better with B than A, maybe? Maybe, yeah. So... You know, we've talked about how one of the wines is simply Clone 91. So, what what would you be expecting characteristics of Clone 91 to bring out in the wine? um, The one thing that's going to be different is is how much fruit can be produced on Mm -hmm. the vine. Because we're renewing the fruit every year, so the fruit will get an equal amount of nutrients through the vine itself. So that will kind of promote an even ripening effect. Whereas when you have the other trained style, the cordon with the other two clones are trained too, it regulates evenly because different parts of the vine are going to be more vigorous than others. So that so aside from the soil and the characteristic, that's one major difference of our different clones that we have available to make wine with. So you said that the um, one method that um, that the one method of growing the grapes actually. Um, provides less grapes on the vine, would that mean then that those grapes would then have higher sugar content because there's less of them on the vine? Yes, um, the energy gets focused into those into producing that amount of fruit because you, only, you don't want fruit that's too high up in the canopy because only a certain amount of canopy will get covered so with the bird netting um, and also depending on the style of the net that's used. But the general style is just covers the fruit zone, which is where the fruit generally will hang directly above the cordon in that first wire area. So it's about maybe the first foot, I would say, um, closest to the bottom of the canopy, that general area. Um, so then anything that grows up towards the top um, generally won't be looked at as being very viable because that will be a higher target for birds to go after. So you lose, you would lose a lot more fruit if you grew stuff way up in the top of the canopy closest to the sprinkler heads. Well, Sarah, do you have anything to add? Um, not at the moment. I'm, I'm just very much in the learning process, so a lot of what he's talking about I'm getting to learn firsthand out in the vineyard that we're getting to actually do stuff and get sprinkler heads and everything going and and I haven't gotten a chance to actually put the bird nest up or get too involved in everything because of COVID and all 
bunch of fun stuff. But you have assisted with bottling. So what is the whole process like with regards to getting the corks in these bottles under pressure and then caging them? Oh, um, see if I can find pictures. I've got pictures. Okay, Nick, well, Sarah looks for her pictures. Do you want to comment? As far as um, getting the cork in the bottle? The whole bottling process of the sparkling wine, because obviously it's under pressure because it's carbonated. Yeah, correct. Um, through the process of yeast being eaten in a way, eating away the sugar that's mm -hmm. added, um, or the sugar that's in um, from the grape juice, that's what the yeast is feeding on. Uh, but the general process for that is it goes from a vineyard to a um, winery. Mm -hmm. It is on a slow, delicate press for, I don't know, for a very long time. The timing I'm not exactly sure on. Um, then it goes from there directly into a stainless steel tank where you'll add, where you'll add the yeast and everything to it. And then it's transferred into a bottle. Where then from the bottle it will be given a bejewel, which is a little plastic insert that allows for the yeast to catch in the riddling process. And then a crown cap is placed on that. And then it is laid on its side for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. And then when it is ready to go into the riddling rack, which is when it looks where it's sitting up or upside down, mm -hmm. slowly turned um, about an eighth of a turn every day. Or and You can do it two times a day. You can do it three times a day. Um, and it's done for as long as the winemaker decides to have it riddled. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, where you would see, like, the large um, A-frame racks in champagne houses in France or in movies where you see a guy there turning all the bottles. And what he's doing, he's forcing, he's stirring up it just slightly to where it causes the yeast that is that's essentially dead to float or sink, I mean, down to the bottom to catch inside that bejewel. And then from there, uh, when the winemaker is ready, after the reeling process, he'll then freeze the neck. They'll, dis they'll disgorge it, which is shooting the ground cap off with the bejewel, hopefully, if, it out comes, if all that comes out, a all that frozen yeast will go out with it. Mm -hmm. Then they like a mixture of like, um, kind of like a sugary substance called a dosage, is the process of inserting that. And then it's corked, aged, boiled, labeled, and stored away. Or sold directly, depending on the um, contract between the champagne house and the buyer. So in the past, we've talked about when the optimum time to drink each different wines are, like how how young you want to drink it, or how many years you would want to keep the bottle. So from past episodes, I believe you've said that sparkling, you don't want to keep that super long. Is that correct? Well, it's tough to say um, as far as aging a wine. Some people like that collect wine will age it longer because they will actually want to improve it. A lot of people like to buy wine to drink fast. That's and then you when you then you can kind of go further into that as far as different varietals will age longer better. Uh, the two most popular times for buying sparkling.
anniversaries, generally. Uh, My favorite time to drink sparkling wine is actually when I've had, like, a crappy day. (laughs) Because the bubbles actually make me really happy. And I feel so much better about, like, whatever nonsense went on. It's just, like, a stress relief, like, drinking, like, a glass of bubbles. It's like, there's no wrong day, I feel like, for a glass of sparkling wine. And so it's like, I like to drink it, like, when I'm celebrating something, and also when I'm just, like... Miserating. Yeah, I'm like, oh, today. <laughs> the bubbles lift you up. Yeah, exactly. Usually when I call Sarah to tell her, I'm like, let me tell you what happened today. <laughs> There's usually a glass of sparkling wine in my hand. So I feel like the bubbles actually just really make me happy. Um, what do you think, Sarah? Do you find that, too, that something about the effervescence, like, perks you up? Yeah, I agree. And actually, it's kind of interesting. One of the things of opening a, uh, a bottle correctly mm-hmm. is you don't want it to pop because then you lose the bubbles. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the whole reason to have sparkling wine is for the bubbles. Right. And so those people that shoot the bubble, oh. you're actually kind of wasting your CO2. Yeah. So there's a very, there's a gentle yeah. way. So if you can have a very, like, when you mm-hmm. take the cork out. That helps save yeah. your bubbles. Well, I don't know if you noticed, Nick, but we opened our bottles uh, while we were live, and we were really quiet about it. I felt like, right? I heard you, you just heard, heard a tiny little pop. Did yeah. you hear our bottles pop over there? I did. You did? Uh, oh, okay. Well, I thought we were being super stealthy over here. So, if you hand me that towel over there. So, when I worked in catering, like in college, they we had to open up sparkling wine bottles in the, like, in front of the diners, and so they showed us to take a towel, so I'm pretending this is cork still, they showed us to, like, take a towel and kind of, like, give it kind of, like, a balloon area here, like, a little area to, like, catch it in, and then just kind of, like, wiggle the top off, and then it pops, and it just goes into your little, like, little pocket here that you made. And that's the way I've been opening champagne bottles ever since. And I don't know if it's correct or not, but do you want to critique my method? Um, Sarah's making faces at me. I, I've learned a different way. Okay. So here. You, oh, do you need the towel? Well, usually a towel is nice to have just in okay. case, but you kind of, you make sure the cork is facing away from anybody. Mm-hmm. You, if you have a towel, you hold on to the cork. And then you slowly turn the bottle. Oh. And you very, very slowly do it. So then there's no pop at all. And you try to have it basically just... So it just kind of like hisses at you? It just hisses and then that'll help save the um, carbonation. Uh, okay, Nick. How did you open your bottles? Yeah. When I do it, I put a dish towel on the top twist on the bottom. Oh, so you have, so you and Sarah have the same method. <laughs> I, I kind of put, I don't put pressure on the cork itself, but I at least have a firm grip on the cork somewhat where there's room for it to move around. Mm-hmm. And I twist um, clockwise or counterclockwise, it doesn't matter. And then you do that enough times to where you can kind of feel it, then you can kind of put a little bit more pressure and um, kind of keeping the cork in place. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I just tried uh, some of the blue cheese that we have here. The blue cheese that we got at Grocery Outlet. I swear, 
like grocery outlets, <laughs> like my favorite store <laughs> to buy cheese at. They have like this amazing selection there. So I picked up blue cheese there. And when I had some blue cheese with A, like the finish was something incredible. I highly recommend it, sir. I will try it. If you want to go wild and crazy, you can always get a saber and then, uh, you know, open your sparkling wine that way. Mm, yes. Are you So are you volunteering to get a champagne saber and show us if, when we do the 2018? Sarah, Sarah's in I'm really tempted. Do you, but okay, first question. Do you have a champagne saber? Not a champagne saber, but I know somebody who has a sword. Oh, well, okay. It, it works. Nick, do you have a champagne saber? No. Nick's like looking like, what kind of crazy ideas are they coming up with? How many bottles of sparkling did they have before they got on with me? Why was Sarah really late? Like, all these questions now. <laughs> so what did you think once you added the blue cheese with A? That's lovely. Yeah. That's really nice. Which kind of makes me curious what's going to happen with B. Yeah. I know. Now we have to try our blue cheese with B. This is really just an excuse for Sarah and I to, like, snack on all the things we aren't supposed to be eating all week. It's better with A. Okay. It's not bad with B, but it's better with A. And the, the jalapeno potato chips, better with B, not as good with A. Oh, yeah. I, there's no, like, it's, the finish, it's, like, almost like water. Like, they cancel each other out. Yeah. Is that what you felt like? It was just water after you drank bait? Um, not water. They just, they were almost two separate tastes in my mouth at the same time. They didn't blend together. They were just, I feel like it's really weird because it just totally canceled, the wine totally canceled out the sharpness of the cheese, and I just felt like I was drinking water. Because I didn't get any sort of, like, flavor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. And then I just, like, canceled it each other out. I clearly need to take a class, if they have a class at Alan Hancock, about, like, using better, more descriptive adjectives to describe <laughs> wine. I clearly need to take it. Is there such a class? I think the wine sensory class is one of the ones Doug teaches, and I'm taking that right now. Or I got the potato chip sparkling from the wine and food pairing class. Mm. And that one is awesome. You can take it. It's usually, I think, three days. So Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday is your final, and mm -hmm. your final is an 18 course. Or um, 18 hour. Wait, it's a three. It's only three days of class. It's only three days of class in the evenings, and uh, the last day, your final is to make something and pair some wines with it. So everybody makes something and they prepare it. So you start in the morning, sometimes with frittatas or different things, and then the people in my class, somebody made beef bouillon. That's the word. Um, I made jalapeno poppers. People made all sorts of different things. It was a that is a fun class. If you can take that one, if we okay. can be in person again, that is an amazing class. And uh, Wes Hagen take uh, teaches it. He's is there hilarious. what about a book? Is there a book that you could recommend for someone who wants to become like more versed in wine tasting lingo? Either of you? So many. I have um. One that was, it wasn't a required text for the tasting class type, but um, I'll have to turn it this screen around. So, that book there, Exploring Wine. Oh no. 
Would you do you want to tell us what's going on here and then tell us about your exploring wine book? Uh, that is when we were at the winery doing the disgorging, and that's so that's a cage. Well, not a cage. It's a machine that we use to put the cork. It's a corking machine essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, your screen went black. Of course it did. Yeah. And yeah, so that's what we were doing that day. We were corking and boiling and packing cases. That was the only picture I ended up having of our corking uh, and packing day, but mm-hmm. I thought that one was pretty appropriate since. Uh, and it was recent because that he was, was in COVID, face mask attire. When, yes, when that was for COVID. When did you say? There's enough things for us to do there where we're all in station set up because it is an assembly process mm-hmm. and doing the um, sparkling from mm-hmm. disgorging all the way to packing the cases. Oh. Yeah, it was uh, June. Oh, it was year. June. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were, were going to show more pictures. Of no, Nick. that was the only picture I've had. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's back to the book, Nick. Nick. So it's, um, it's was just the textbook that was um, recommended for the wine tasting class mm-hmm. um, that I took, and it was it's applicable to just every single area that produces wine. Mm-hmm. It's provided by CIA in Napa. Oh, okay. So it's also used for the culinary students there as well because they can kind of reference it for um, maybe the recipes and doing their cooking classes. Okay, so CIA stands for not Central Intelligence well, Agency, but uh, uh, Institute. Okay, <laughs> okay. For those of us not in the industry, I was like, wait, what? It's CIA? <laughs> what are they doing with wine? Yeah, it's a it's a pretty decent sized book, and it's if, if someone's interested in learning wine about or getting introductory into like France, it has every region covered um, as best as as best they can. It's the third edition, so there's probably new editions Mm -hmm. out right now. So, are we ready to unveil which was which? Like, do we have any guesses? Um, Do you you guys get, like, any tree fruits, like apple or quince? I was getting more... You said stone fruit earlier, right? Yeah, for A. But I could get apple for B, for sure. Like a white peach or just like a standard yellow peach? A white peach ray. I was, I was thinking like a peach or nectarine, so... For A? Yeah. Yeah, so I just might have a different palette. Well, a, a white peach. Or an, oh, a white peach is similar to a nectarine. Okay, well then I don't need enough peaches to know the difference between white and yellow. So. Yellow would be... You have yellow right in front of you. Oh, okay. (laughs) There's a yellow peach on her plate. (laughs) It's been a long day. I've been up since five. But then, so let's see. With B, B, I could definitely see apple. Yeah. Trying to find the the uh, wheel for my class Mm -hmm. because it'll actually um, give you. Uh, ideas of different fruits that if you're tasting stone fruit and it kind of then mm-hmm. branches out and gives you ideas of what you're actually tasting. Mm-hmm. I can find it. 
So, Nick, which one do we think is supposed to be sweeter, the 2016 or 2017? 2016 is supposed to be the sweeter of the two. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be more of a closer to the right side of the chart. Mm -hmm. The left side is more of a natural, uh, is more of a natural um, method of making it where you don't add any sugar at all. It's like, it, it would be like the equivalent to like a zero sugar soft drink. Okay. So if I had to guess, oh, like a zero sugar soft drink? Well, as far as with, like, if you were to compare it to, like, just the concept of zero sugar. Mm -hmm. So, for just um, breaking it down for not, if we have any viewers that aren't, like, super into wine or just trying to learn, it's just an easy analogy. Mm -hmm. And the sweeter one's going to be, like, way off, like, way farther to the right. Mm -hmm. um, would be, like, a sec or a demi-sec. So, we have a question here that says, what's the dosage sugar level added? So, the... Um, so for one of them, we actually don't have any sugar added, so that would be considered a brute nature, um, the closest to that. And then we have one that is would be more in be would be in between a dry and a demi sec. They're very they're mm -hmm. slightly one slightly sh sweeter than the other. Mm -hmm. So the exact numbers, I don't know too much off my head. Thank uh, I shy on one of our viewers, um, student at Sarah, the program. back it up. There you go. Tilt it toward down a little. There you go. Is this the chart you were talking about? Mm -hmm. Bring it in a little closer. Yep. So that's, So what is this chart that we're looking at? Uh, it's just a way to try to identify what you're tasting. Mm-hmm. So, um... Another thing for our viewers, the brunature would be like a bone dry sparkling. An extra brute would also be in the bone dry category, but not as dry. Then a brute is would be a standard dry. Extra dry would be somewhat fruity. A dry would be off dry. Because there is, that's kind of, it may be confusing to say like there's a dry style, but then like it's not going to, the description won't be the same as its name. It will be off dry, so that would be on the sweeter side of, dry, of being dry. Mm -hmm. And then your demi sec would be your sweet, and your do, D O U X is the spelling for that, would be your sweetest of them. So, which one would you uh, classify? I guess we got, okay, so before I ask my question, I will ask my question, but I think we're not going to be able to answer them until we know which one's the 2016 and which one's the 2017. So based on those classifications that you just gave after we unveiled them, I want to know which one would be the 2016 and which would be the 2017. Does that make sense? Nick's yeah. looking at me like yeah. he has no idea what I'm asking. <laughs> He's like, what the hell am <laughs> Yeah, so you just listed off a bunch of different classifications for sparkling wines based on sweetness, et cetera, right? Yeah, generally that's the general um, yeah. chart. So then once we unveil which A versus B is 2016 versus 2017, then would you be able to tell us which one on that chart would be would be representative of 2016 or 17? I could, and then I'll just for everybody out there that I'll 
my interpretation of sweet isn't probably going to be the same as a lot of other people and same with dry. So just going off of my palate and what I'm used to having, um, eating with wine and just trying different fruits, sweetness for me is probably going to be on a, on a different spectrum than what somebody might have. Oh, okay. I would think of an apple sweet versus like a pastry sweet. Mm-hmm. That makes any sense, or like a peach sweet versus so something more of like I don't know if that makes any sense. Okay. It makes it makes sense to me. So going back to because we're getting I think we're getting close on time here. Um, before Instagram kicks us off, yeah, we're getting close. Um, so quick, so we should do unveil which is which. But my quick question is, which one is the 2016 or 2017 going to be? Do you think is going to be sweeter? I would say that the 16, I would expect to be sweeter. So then Sarah and I would think that A is the 16, is that correct? Because we thought A was sweeter than B, and we think B is the 2017? I think our B might be similar just on the appearance, but um, I think that my, the B that I have is sweeter than the A that I have. Okay. So you think your B is your 26 is the 2016, and we think Correct. our A is the 2016. So Sarah, why don't you do the honors and unveil what our A is? And Nick, you want to go ahead and unveil what your B is, and we'll see if they're the 2016 or not. I know. Oh. So I have my B. Are we right, Sarah? Lift it up. Move it over. Oh, wait, we both got, it says 2016, and Nick. Nick. So I just want to say that uh, the score right now is. <laughs> She's really proud of herself. the 2016 sparkling. So the score right now is 3 out of 4 for Sarah Neva. And <laughs> Nick is now over 1. <laughs> so let's, well, so there you go. Wait, do they have the same, they have the same painting on them? Yep. You want to hold that painting back up, Sarah? Put the bottle, the label back up? So... Nick, what do we know about this label? This is a beautiful label. The label, usually we have it on the back, but we don't have it on the back for this one. Um, it was produced by Nancy Jo Ward, who's a faculty in the art department at Allen Hancock, Coll- Allen Hancock College. And it's one of our um, favorite labels by our customers that we have um, that would normally come in and also from people that are ordering wine through us online. And we just think it is just somewhat fitting for the label. It's perfect for the region that it comes from. Well, Nick, what are we going to, are we doing, what are we doing next month? That's a good question. So, are are we going to leave it as a surprise where we, uh, announce it in like two weeks what we're going to do? Sure, we could do that. Okay. Why not? So, 
I know that um, wineries have spring wine shipments coming out, so basically if anyone that's watching wants to get their hands on exclusive Allen Hancock wine deals, then they should head over to the website, which is going to be linked in the info for this video, and it's also linked in my bio, so that way they can sign up for your wine club, right? That's correct. Do you know what wines are going to be included in the spring shipment? Or I don't know uh, what's going to be exactly in it. We but it's going to be really good, right? Wine coming up, but I think we do have some other wines that are set aside for the shipment. Mm -hmm. But the, whatever yeah, the wine is shipment. in the shipment is going to be really great spring wine at a great price. You're going to be supporting the college. Do I sound like NPR when I'm trying to sell it? Be like, okay, it's our spring drive right now. I've been like what, listening to so much NPR and I just like heard it coming out of my mouth. One, one shout out I want to give out is to Chris Brown, who was the this faculty advisor over at the winery. He was an instructor for the wine operation. So these two vintages that we compared today um, were part of his time at the college. So, Chris Brown, if you're out there, um, we really appreciate all the hard work that you helped out with making these two wines available for purchase. And um, what's interesting about the 17 is it, it should have that more breadier brioche characteristic. Did yeah. you get that, Sarah? Did you get, like, a breadier brioche characteristic with, with beef? Um, in the nose, I definitely did. When I first That was one thing I didn't want to give away um, before we started. Uh-huh. Is that because it is has less sugar, almost to no sugar, mm -hmm. in the 17, it will pick up and develop those breadier notes. Mm. Interesting. And, and I don't know if the yeast strain was used in both vintages. It could have, because the success that the 16 had, that mm. when Chris Brown had his students make the 17, they probably used the same strain of yeast, but I'm not sure on that, but that could also play into um, those breadier characteristics. That's interesting. Well, I had a great time today. Oh, before we go, um, so, should we rate these wines? What would you consider the sparkling? I always think sparkling is kind of on the... I wonder if you're going to go to the same one that I'm thinking. Before we unveil it, Sarah, do you concur? Oh, I was thinking porch counter. Okay. Because it's, I hard, feel to like it's hard to save a bottle once you open it. And well, you're having a good conversation and the bubbles pick you up. It's one of those... I was going to say that the 2016 is kind of bougie because it's sweet and it just seems fancy. But then I do agree with Sarah that the 2017 would be my porch pounder. What about you, Nick? I would. It's a new one. Um, it's not, you don't have it yet made up. Um, oh, okay. A I have to. The beach. What, it, what is it? A day at the beach. Alrighty, we got to make the card. A day at the um. beach. And that I could be for either one. Mm -hmm. I actually have two new cards to, to make. Uh, last weekend, Sarah said, uh, called one of the wines a food wine. So I need to make a food wine card and a day at the beach card. I also need to remember to go to the store to get new index cards to print them out. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been to the, I went to like 
three grocery stores today because each of them had something different that I needed specifically just at that store. And I probably could have gotten index cards at any one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> well, Nick, this was super fun. Mr. Bo wants to make an appearance and say hi to everybody before we go. He's right here. Hey, Bo, look. Say hi. He's He's got his... uh his bark collar on so that way when he like growls or barks because we have cheese oh he's like looking at my plate he's like there's cheese and there's strawberries um then he gets sprayed with citronelle so that way he behaves himself he doesn't like the scent of the lemon but we all had a great time Bo did get some strawberries though while we were drinking wine and snacking we put some strawberries in his conk for him he loved it so we had a great time and the third uh, Saturday of every month, we're doing with Alan Hancock. Next weekend, Sarah and I haven't quite decided what we're doing. If we're hitting the road and going to go to a winery and do and like kind of vlog our tasting, and then like for each wine, pick out which card goes with them. Or we are talking about um, for those of you that are watching Men in Kilts, we've been talking about doing a Scotch episode and uh, talking about the show. So, for Outlander and Men in Kilts fans, we feel like that would be, like, super fun. We're both kind of obsessed with Scotland, <laughs> Men in Kilts, and Outlander. Well, I actually haven't seen Men in Kilts You yet. haven't watched it yet? No. Okay, but, but you have to watch it before we do the episode. I, okay. It's on the it'll, do list. Yeah, it'll be, like, two hours of your life. <laughs> because there are 30 minute, there are, like, 25, 30-minute episodes, and um, they're really good. Even, but my parents both really like it. So, you know, if they're approved by... It's an excuse to, you know, bust out my uh, scotches that I've collected over the years. Yeah, and I feel like this would be a perfect, like, fire pit episode. I can make that happen. I can okay. make that work. Yeah. yeah. And then we... So we can have our production... Your production assistant set up the fire for us. The fire oh. pit. No, I, I set up my <laughs> own fire. <laughs> Okay, so Nick will have to let us know if he's going to watch Men in Kilts in time to join us. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I'm not putting you on the spot or anything. I'm just telling you if you watch it, you could join us. Or not. <laughs> or not watch it and still join us. I, I'm more than happy to, you know, get samples of scotches to you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we will see everybody next time, but I think we all deserve a round of applause <laughs> for our efforts today, especially Sarah and I, because we got it right. <laughs> so, Nick, I don't know, I have sound effects over here. <laughs> so we introduced them last episode, and we had some fun with them. And then Sarah was giving me a hard time, because she's like, you're crying for yourself. Well... Know. It's kind of true. It is. See? And now we're laughing at ourselves. <laughs> I'm not that funny. <laughs> yeah. But this way we have a live studio audience here every week, not just when my family visits. <laughs> Alrighty. So this is digressing now. So <laughs> the bubbles are going to our brains. So awesome. Nick, it was great seeing you today. We learned a lot about sparkling wine, and I think what's really cool is having 
same grapes from the same vineyard, only a year apart, and just seeing how different they tasted. So the 2016 is available on the Allen Hancock website. I, I did not see the 2017 on the Allen Hancock website. Is that correct? That, you guys pulled out? That will be soon oh, available on the website. It's coming soon. Okay, so like... The 16 is in short, is in limited supply. Okay, so go buy your bottle now. Before, yeah. So then um, there will also be a link in the info one to the wine club to join the wine club two also to purchase these wines. And these and will be great for, for mothers. Anyone that wants to try a younger vintage of Sparkling, there is a 2018 available. Mm -hmm. That is also from the College Vineyard. That is the centennial anniversary wine for the college. Mm-hmm. It was just made specifically for the 100th anniversary of Allen Hancock College. Oh, wow. Well, so I feel has, like... That, that label is a lot different from the one that we have today. Oh, well... In this episode. I cannot wait to try that one. Alrighty, so, Sarah, you need to bring more jalapeno potato chips over for another tasting of the 2018 Sparkling. I... Hey, I'll make jalapeno poppers. Oh, well, <laughs> Nick, you're going to have to come come over for that. <laughs> Sarah's cooking. <laughs> Not to toot my own horn, but they're kind of good. Yours are, uh, hers are, uh, we have another friend uh, who makes jalapeno poppers regularly, like every time he goes to a party, like he brings jalapeno poppers, and his are, they're good, but Sarah's are excellent. I don't know. I'm not going up against Spam. He he knows how to do a popper. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Okay, well, Nick, we'll see you in a few weeks, okay? Okay, sounds Bye. good. Bye. Thank you. Bye. We need to call my mother now because she can't figure out how to use this fucking thing. <laughs> I'm like, how are we able to do it correctly? I was going to say, I think we ha you have had it. it. The 2018 was in that box. Yeah. So. Okay, can I have some more jalapeno potato chips? I'm, yeah, I'm impressed with them. Mm -hmm. And the bubbles are kind of going to my head a little bit. Like, oh, yeah, this is what happens when you are running around all day and take that heat. <laughs> I'm going to make this the uh, video. Oh, no. <laughs> Actually, this Kind of amazing. It's, it looks like he is about to solve all the world's problems. I know. That's the label for the 2000. Oh, I was trying to bring it up in time. Uh, yeah. Because it's a gorgeous label. It? it is. It is. And it's. Yeah. It, to the, um, the one where I can spray him, where I push the button that sprays him when he does the um, push you. Um, having Skylar, I think it, it's an introduction oh. to what it's going to be like to have kids. Oh, yeah. As far as, okay, she's a puppy, we can't leave her oh. alone. Earlier this week, Sean, I've got a mandatory meeting. I thought I was going to be home. I can't. We gotta find another solution. It's just like all these things on the fly, and Sean's having to bring out his dad voice oh. with her, and it works really well. And it's like, oh wow, okay. 
this is, if we have a kid, it's going to be a lot of work. But I'm like, okay, at least I know kind of what I'm getting myself into, and it's yeah. not going to be that bad. Yeah. And Sean's dad voice will come out a lot more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why he insists if we have a kid, we have to name it something easy to yell. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Two syllables. Anything more, too hard to yell. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to call my mom. She can't figure out how to use this shit. <laughs> mm. I think I've got a magnum of this at home, too. Mm. No, I think it's just a regular bottle. Oh, too bad you... It's kind of appropriate for today. Mm-hmm. 